Okay? I'm glad you're here. Um, there's a lot that I want to discuss today, and, and basically what we're going to do is just take a kind of an, an overview of, of history and, and its twists and turns and, and why everything uh, seemingly is, is so complicated and so confusing, and yet on a deeper level, um, it's, uh, there, there's an order to things. And we've just finished up the, the, the book of Breshis, the book of Genesis, and there's a very um, amazing event that takes place in, in the last chapter in Parshas Vayechi, which is talking about how, how Jacob, how Yaakov Avinu is blessing uh, the children of, of, of Yosef. And, and I want to zero in on that and, and show how this is kind of like a a microcosm of really all of, all of history, what's being illustrated here. Um, and so just to zero in on the event itself, um, if, you, if you kind of want to see it inside, it's, a, it's a chapter 48, uh, verse 13, is where the um, whole uh, episode with uh, Yosef blessing the, his grandchildren starts. And, and basically, it goes like this. You have Yosef bringing his two children, his two sons, um, Menashe and Ephraim, Menashe being the eldest, and therefore, um, in terms of the normal order of things, the one who should receive the blessing first. So he brings Menashe and he brings Ephraim to his father Yaakov. And remember, Yaakov is... Yaakov is tops, right? The, the sages say that of the Avos, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that, that Yaakov is, is the choice of the Avos, in that he's the, the culmination of them. So, so this is a very big moment. Yaakov is now going to give the blessing. And remember, remember, Yaakov has a big history with blessings, because when Yaakov went to get the blessing from his father, Isaac, Yitzchak, remember he disguises himself to be the firstborn. And so there's a whole history that's, that's the backdrop to this moment right now. And remember, Yosef, Yosef has gone through all sorts of struggles with his brothers because his brothers thought that he was trying to usurp the family. And they wanted to basically kick him out of the family. And so there's all sorts of, and, and Yosef was the firstborn, but of the second wife. Because Rachel gets, is, 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 he marries, Yaakov marries second. So in other words, we, you have here as a backdrop, entering into this moment, a lot of history and a lot of, a lot of turmoil that's resulted from these events that we've just mentioned in terms of, Yaakov and Esav, and, and who got the blessing, and, and also in terms of Yosef, whether he was in, tr in fact trying to be the ruler over his brothers, and the fact that he was the firstborn, but the firstborn to the second wife. So there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of history going on to set, the, to set the context for this. And so, and so what happens? Yosef puts the firstborn according to age, Menashe, to, for, for Yaakov to put his right hand, which in blessing is the preferred hand, and just um, something you should know in terms of practical Jewish law, if you make a blessing over something, if you're, say, take a drink or something like that, you pick it up with your right hand. And if you give tzedakah, if you give charity, you give it with your right hand. This is the proper way. So, so, so Menashe is put in a place so that Yaakov can put his right hand on Menashe's head. And there is Ephraim. And now here's the, the amazing part of this, uh, of this chapter, is that Yaakov now switches his hands. <laughs> and he, he, he puts his right hand on Ephraim's head. And his left hand on Menashe's head. All right? Now, someone pointed out to me, and I thought that this was a very beautiful insight, that maybe the reason why Yaakov did it that way 
Because what was the alternative? I didn't even think of this. The alternative was to tell the children to switch places. Right? But listen to the level of sensitivity here. If Yaakov had done that, imagine how Menashe would have felt. Basically being sort of actively demoted. Right? No, no, no. You're, no, no, no. Go, go over here. Right? To the end of the line. So, so maybe that was part of Yaakov's intention in terms of switching his hands and telling them, instead of telling them to move around. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. And um, something just to consider, just, you know, I, I heard Reb Shlomo say, and, and I'm going to tell you a story probably at the end, just to illustrate just how, how crucial it is to be sensitive to each other. And I heard Reb Shlomo say just about, really, our great people have really been known by, by their exquisite sensitivity to, to people and to their, their needs and their, their moods and to their sensitivities. Um, so anyway, so here's Yaakov Avinu, for whatever reason, but he's, he's switching his arms so that they, they overlap on top of each other. And Yosef sees what's happening, meaning to say he's seeing history repeat itself. All of a sudden, the younger is getting the first blessing over the older. With full awareness of the family history and all of the trauma and, and, and turmoil that, 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 that this has led to. And Yosef does something that I, I personally think is extraordinary. Extraordinary meaning unusual. He takes Yaakov's hands and he actively tries to reshape them. Now, to, to, to me, this seems like really something amazing and a, a borderline chutzpah, really. Because to, and, and just to give you some background, uh, just to share this story, um, you know, I, I had the, the, the privilege a, a few times to, to be by the Lubavitcher Rebbe and to receive dollars and uh, once by the Koshel Brucha, he would pour uh, wine into his cup and then from, from his cup into uh, your cup and people would line up and they would line up for hours and hours. So, you know, so, so one time, the, the first time I, I, I lined up to receive a dollar, you, you get a dollar and then, then you take that dollar or you can exchange it for another dollar, and then you give that to tzedakah. So you, you become a conduit to, to give tzedakah through the Rebbe, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a moment to just connect with the Rebbe. So it's a, it, it was a great thing. And, um, and anyway, so, so, so the first time that, that I did that, uh, we, we walked up this small set of stairs, and the, uh, the Sephardim and the Ashkenazim have two different uh, customs in terms of how they greet the Rebbe. The Sephardim take the, the Rebbe's hand and they kiss him. And that's a very beautiful way of, of honoring him and showing respect. The Ashkenazim don't touch him. Because for whatever reason, but it's, it's just a sign of respect not even to touch him. So there's no, there's no contact. So, so I'm... Ashkenaz, so that would be the proper path for me, would be not to touch him. So as I'm walking up the stairs, there are two Sephardic men in front of me, and the first one takes his hand and kisses it, and then the next man in line takes his hand and kisses it, and I was just so kind of spaced out from the Kedusha, from the holiness, that I, I received the dollar, and then I shook his hand, and then I walked out of the room holding his hand. And he actually had to pull his hand back. <laughs> and I wasn't even looking at him at the time. I just took his hand and I continued to walk. So he was to my back and I just felt like a hand being yanked back, you know. And I can still feel the shape of his hand in my hand. He had a, like this very interesting shaped hand. I never shook hands with anyone like that before. I guess I was never supposed to shake hands with that hand to begin with. But anyway... Um, that's what, that's what happened. <laughs> so, so I, I just tell you that story because 
because this idea of, you know, even really touching a great person is, is not a given. It's not a given. And, um, and so the idea that Yosef is actually taking the arms of Yaakov Avinu and trying to pry them apart and rearrange them is, is, is extraordinary. Obviously, it hints at, or to me anyway, it hints at a level of desperation going on in Yosef. So what is Yosef trying to prevent? What, what, what is going on in his mind? And what is Yaakov saying by doing it in this very sort of, you know, circuitous way? And I want to suggest that the following debate, unspoken, was taking place. That Yosef was saying to Yaakov Avinu, enough, enough already. It's, it's been too complicated already. Everything is too complicated. And now you want to perpetuate this level of complication unto the next generation. It's enough. No more. And, and you see this symbolized in both of their names, because both of the names, Yaakov and Yosef, on a certain level is the same name. And both of them hint at the end of days. And remember, we're talking about the last Parsha in Breshis. And Breshis is a microcosm on one level of all of creation. So they're talking about the end here. How are Yaakov and Yosef's names the same? Yaakov is Yud Akev. Akev is the heel that's the bottom of a person's body. In fact, it was once demonstrated to me something very amazing. You can, you can, you know, they always say, don't try this at home. Try this at home. This is, you'll, you'll, you'll see how cool this is when you actually do it. When you walk through, the end of days in Torah is called Ikve de Meshiche, which means the heel of Mashiach. That's, that's another way of saying the end of days. So why the heel? Well, the heel is the bottom part of a person, but really it's the end of a person. How, how do you see this? When you walk through the door, when you walk through the door of a room, you'll notice that the very last part of your body to leave that room is the heel of your foot. The very last part to leave is the heel. And so the heel represents the very end, and that works in time as well, not just physically. So in the realm of time, the heel of Mashiach, Ikve de Meshiche, represents the end. So Yaakov Avinu is Yud Ekev. Yud, from the Yud Kevavke, the top, the very top emanation of light, going all the way down to the heel, all the way down to the end, to the bottom. Yosef, again, is the same name. How do you see it? Because if you change around the order of the last three letters of Yosef's name, there are only four letters, by the way, it spells the word sof. Sof in Hebrew means end. So Yosef is Yud Sof. Again, Yud from the top emanation of light, of creation, all the way down to the end. Yud Ekev, Yud Sof. It's the same. So both Yosef and Yaakov here symbolize, symbolize Mikates, the end, the end of days. And so Yosef is appealing to his father. He's saying, it can't be like this forever. It can't be complicated like this forever with all the twists and turns. You're putting the, the younger one before the older one again. Haven't we seen enough in our own family what that's resulted in? Now, now we have to build on this further. You see, because we have, who are the, who are the objects of the blessing? It's Menashe and Ephraim. 
And again, this also symbolizes at the end the final fixing, the tikkun, the great tikkun, the great fixing that we're all working toward. So what's, what's very interesting about Ephraim and Menashe, excuse me, and um, I, as far as I know, I didn't see this writ, written. This, this sort of came to me, but who knows, maybe I saw it written. There's a whole list of pairs of great people in Torah. And Ephraim and Menashe, it begins, Ephraim begins with the letter Aleph, Menashe begins with the letter Mem. And you have a whole chain of pairs in, in Jewish history. I tried to find the exact source of this. I wasn't able to find the exact source, but I saw that the Bava Rebbe brings it. And so if the Bava Rebbe is bringing it, my, my sense is, is that it's, it's much older than that even. I don't think that it begins with him. But anyway, just to show you that this idea has been uh, an accepted Torah observation for, for many, many generations. So where do you see these pairs with Aleph and Mem? So you see Esther and Mordechai, right? That's Aleph and Mem. That's one of the great redemptions. You see Aaron and Moshe, another of the great redemptions. You see Eliyahu and Mashiach, again, Aleph and Mem, another, the final fixing. And now I would like to add to that list Ephraim and Menashe, also Aleph and Mem. And so why aren't they just two people along the way? Why do they deserve to be on this list, right, of, of ultimate redemptions? And I heard Rabbi Top say it, heard it from other places as well, that Ephraim and Menashe represent the fixing of our human relationships and the healing of family dynamics. How is that the case? Because they're the first two brothers to get along in the Torah. You have Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel, right? They're knocking each other off. You have Yitzchak and Yishmol. You have Yaakov and Esav. You have Yosef and his brothers. When do we get it together exactly? With Ephraim and Menashe. Because they had cause to be jealous of each other. And they got along. They got along with each other. And so here you see in them this aspect of fixing, of the healing of family dynamics, of everyone getting together and everyone getting along. And this, of course, is part and parcel of the final fixing. So now you have, right? Let's just picture this. You have Yaakov, right? Yud Ekev, right? The beat from the top all the way to the end of days, and here you have the source of the blessing right now, Ephraim and Menashe, which represents healing. And how are we getting from one to the other? Through the overlapping of the arms with the younger going before the older, and Yosef is going, no! No! It can't be like that anymore. It's too much trauma already. Let's just make everything make sense from now on. Now, now it's deeper than that. It's deeper, th it's deeper than that. You see, I was thinking, if we have this received Torah tradition, that we have this connection with Aleph and Mem, right? These pairs, Ephraim and Menashe, Eliyahu and Mashiach, Aaron and Moshe, Esther and Mordechai, Right? Why, why, what is this interrelationship with Aleph and Mem? Like, what is, what's, what's going on with that? So I was thinking about, what, what, what is that? What is that, 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 that relationship? And so it came to me that Aleph and Mem are the first two letters of the word emet, of truth. Aleph, Mem, Taf, spells truth. And I thought, okay, so then what does that mean? 
That means that all of us are the tough. In other words, tough, just so you know, it's a Hebrew letter, and it's the last letter of the olive base. Remember, God created the world. Our mystical tradition is through the olive base, with the letters of the olive base, meaning to say he combined all these divine energies. And through these combination of divine energies, God created the world. So the letter Taf, which is the end of the olive base, also symbolizes the end of creation, the finishing of creation. And each one of us is the letter Taf, which spells Emmet. But then I thought to myself, wait a second, you can't just say we're all the letter Taf. You need a source for that, right? So I was thinking, where do you see that each one of us is the letter Taf? And then I remember there's a Gomorrah in Shabbos. It's on page 55, if you want to look it up. An amazing Gomorrah that I'm not going to go into. Maybe I'd love to spend a whole um, talk on just explaining this Gomorrah because it's a wild Gomorrah. But I'm going to just sum it up in two sentences. And basically it goes like this. The angel Gavriel, right, which represents on some level din, right, judgment. It's like a big deal. And it's also talking about the end of days, by the way, <coughs> this, uh, this, this particular uh, piece of Agadita. The, the angel Gavriel is going to put or is, puts the letter Taf on each one of our foreheads. And depending on whether it's red or Techelis, which is a shade of blue, the person lives or dies. And so I thought, well, okay, well, there's, your, there, there's where we're Taf. So there you go. You, know, you don't have to look further than that. So in other words, it's up to us to finish spelling out the word emet. Now, we're not there yet. We have to go deeper still. In the very beginning of the Torah, it says, Breshis bara elokim. Translated different ways, but, but maybe most beautifully from the fabric of beginnings, out of beginnings, or with beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. Meaning to say every single moment is a beginning because the world itself is made out of beginnings. And the Medrash points out that if you look at the last three letters of these first three words, it spells out the word emet, truth. Meaning to say, God implanted truth at the very beginning of creation. But you see something very amazing about the way the truth is spelled out, which is it's not spelled out in its proper order. (laughs) Meaning to say, if God is going to bother, so to speak, to put the word truth there in this cryptic form, why not spell it out in its proper order? Especially since the, 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 the spelling of the word truth there are many Torahs on the fact that Aleph is the very first letter of the Aleph Bays, Mem is the middle letter of the alphabet, and Taf is the last letter. So the order of the spelling of the word truth is, is very impactful. You can, you, you, in other words, part and parcel of the word itself is the order in which it's spelled. So here you see the word truth. And yet it's spelled out of order. And now, if you look at, remember, the first seven days of creation, the seventh day of creation is Shabbos. And the Messianic era, the era of perfection, is called the day that will be all Shabbos, the great Shabbos. So here in the first seven days of creation, you have in miniature a microcosm of the entire history of the world. So if you look at the account of the seven days of creation, the last three words talking about the finishing up of Shabbos, the finishing up of the seventh day, therefore the finishing up of all of creation. The last three words are bara, elokim, la'asos. And if you look at the last three letters of those words, it's aleph, mem, taf. It's the word creation, Spelled properly. So in other words, from this you see something very 
exalted, something very amazing. If you want to see that inside, that's, um, it's page 10 in the art scroll, the end of that paragraph, and it's, uh, that's uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 3. So here you see something very, very beautiful, which is the destiny of the entire world which is taking place, which is that God implants truth at the very beginning of creation, but it's done in this form where it's not openly revealed. And it's up to us, through our actions, through our Torah mitzvot, through our kindness to each other, to reveal the truth that's been implanted in creation. And you see, at the end, you'll see that it is revealed openly, as emet, spelled in its proper way. And that's the process that we're involved in right now. So now let's get back to this blessing. So again, Yosef says to Yaakov, how can you do it? How can you do it? We're, we're driving toward the end here. Do you really want to put the younger one before the older one? Is it again? And he's taking his hands and he's, he's trying to rearrange them. Right? To, to that extent, this is how Yosef is feeling it. But Yaakov is unmoved. Yaakov, he's not hearing the problem. He's not hearing the problem. So Yaakov is saying something even deeper. Yaakov is saying something even deeper back to Yosef. Listen to this. So I was looking at it. I was looking at it. So, so what does Yosef want? Yosef wants Menashe to go first and then Ephraim. But that's the Mem before the Aleph. Is that how you spell Emet? That's not how you spell Emet. That's not how you spell truth. You have to put the Aleph before the Mem. And that's what Yaakov is doing. <laughs> Yaakov is going, no, 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 first goes Aleph, then goes Mem, and then goes all of us, we're the tough, right? It's up to us to finish it off. So Yaakov is saying something even deeper. He's saying, there is an order, there is an order, but it's just, it's not so, it's not so easy to see it with your eyes. You know, one of the best examples of this that I can give, it's a famous example, is one, two nights a year, I guess one night in Israel, we celebrate order. You know what that's called? Seder night. Seder is Hebrew for order. Now, if you look at the narrative, if you will, of the Seder, it's the most chaotic thing in the world. <laughs> it's pure chaos. You know? You're taking things off the table. You're putting them back on the table. You're asking questions. You're raising a cup, but you're not drinking it. You're covering the matzahs. You're, you're, you're uncovering them. You're holding them up. You're putting them down. You're having this amazing feast of a meal that begins with a bitter herb and then you talk for another hour before you actually have some food. You know, there's a, a famous story that Rabbi Nachman tells that um, there were two people who were, you know, uh, unfortunately impoverished and they would travel, they were traveling, they were, they were, they were you know, begging. And uh, one was Jewish and, and one was not Jewish and they were, they were you know, friends. And the Jewish one says to the non-Jewish one, listen, you're in luck. Tonight is Pesach. It's Passover and there's going to be a big feast in, the, in all the homes tonight. So just make sure, come with me to shul. We'll get invited and you'll get a big meal tonight. So the next day they meet and he says to the person who is not Jewish, he says, how, how was your meal last night? You know, we're waiting to hear like a, a, a happy story. He says, wait you're all crazy. You know, I'm waiting and, 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 and there's, there's, they're not serving food. They're just talking and talking and talking. And finally, 
at a certain point, they give me this tiny piece of potato, and then some, so this bitter herb which burned my mouth, and again I said, enough, and I ran out. And the, and the Jew says to him, oh, if you only had stayed a little bit longer, <laughs> you would have gotten an amazing meal. So this is, Rabbi Nachman says this as, as, a, as a symbolic story, that if we just stick with it, if we stick with it, then we'll see all the great things that are happening. But we have to stick with it. We have to stay with the program in order, in order to, to be privy to, to, to what's on the horizon, to what the destiny of, of the entire creation is. Um, so, so there is an order. So, so irony of ironies, or perhaps truth of truths, this chaotic experience is called Seder, is called order. Because there is an order to it. There is an order to it. It's just not openly apparent. You know, I went more in, in length on this subject. I, I, I have a talk called, Why is Life So Confusing? By the way... I, I redesigned the website, Torah on iTunes, if you have a chance to look at it. And it's, it's searchable. Uh, just people have asked where some of the older talks and things like that. There's a, there's a search function there that, that you can you put in keywords and you can find stuff. So um, just wanted to mention that. And, um, and one of the reasons why life is so confusing is because... Basically, God is working out the past, the present, and the future all simultaneously. You see, sometimes there's stuff going on in our life that we just don't understand. And the truth is, is that it doesn't really make that much sense. But this is a rectification from something from a past life that we need to work out right now. Sometimes there's stuff that, again, doesn't make much sense, but we need this for an event that's going to happen later on in our own life. Or perhaps it's a merit for our children's life. It's a protection for our children's life. Time for God is like this very amazing, amazing canvas. You know, I just saw an example of it last night. The Medrash brings, the Medrash robber brings from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, something where it says that it points out um, two similar events in the Torah and, com- and compares them many, many years apart. One is, it says that when Hashem commanded Avraham with the Akedah, with the binding of Isaac, that Avraham prepared uh, the, the, all the stuff in the morning. And even though he had many servants that could have done it, because of Avraham's great love and desire to do the will of God, he ran out and he did it. And so the Medrash brings this idea that love shatters form. Love shatters form. Meaning to say that if someone has a great love, they'll do things that are unpredictable and unexpected. Now later on in the Torah, it talks about how Bilaam, who's a Rasha, who's a very wicked person, wants to go to curse the Jews. And even though he has many servants, he gets up very early and saddles his donkey himself. And so you see the same dynamic, and they bring this idea that hatred shatters form. That just like love is a very extreme emotion, hatred is also an extreme emotion, and it will drive to do people to do very unexpected things. But here's the reason why I'm bringing it up. After pointing this out, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai points out something very interesting. That Avraham saddling his donkey to do the will of God was this great merit which protected the Jews from this act of hatred of Bilaam saddling his donkey to curse the Jews. Now, there are hundreds of years apart, these two incidences. Hundreds of years apart. Meaning to say, look at God's timeline, right? 
you might do something and you might say, okay, God, I did something great. Everyone agrees. Where's my cash? (laughs) Show me the money, God, you know? Meanwhile, this could be the most amazing salvation, right? You don't, God is the ultimate bookkeeper, the ultimate, ultimate bookkeeper. Every prayer that's uttered, even if we don't see the answer to it immediately, every prayer that's uttered, every deed that's done is meticulously recorded. And then God waits for the best time to enact the spiritual repercussions of that. You know, there's a story told about the Chazanish. And the Chazanish, I guess, in the beginning of the 1900s, predicted the, the, the great return to, to Torah among Jews. And they, they asked him, they said, are you a prophet? How did you know that there was going to be a, a mass return of the Jewish people to the, to the ways of the Torah? How did you know? And he said, he said the following. He said, in my time, you know, part of the nature of our people Uh, for good and for bad, of the Jewish people, is that we have a a very utopian instinct within us. This this sense that we want to see the perfection of the world. And if we're not connected to Torah, then we innovate in terms of how to apply these utopian visions. And so... Examples, great examples, are communism, which was, you know, in, in large part a, a, a Jewish vision. And if you think about it, on paper, it's a, it's a very beautiful idea. Why should one person own the factory and you've got thousands or tens of thousands of people working crazy hours making nothing? Well, one person owns the factory. Is that fair? How about the workers themselves? They own the factory. I mean, if you think about it, especially at the beginning of of the industrial era, when people were working under horrendous conditions, this is is really a utopian ideal. So this, this idea was at the heart of communism, which was a beautiful utopian vision on paper. Unfortunately, this led to the death of millions and millions and millions of people and became this crazy dictatorship. That's how it morphed and became manifest. This idea of free love, this whole kind of hippie ideal that why not just, why can't we all just be ultimately close and intimate with each other? Isn't, Isn't that really just... Get rid of all the hang-ups. Come on. Let's just all come together. Then everyone's going to be happy. Not so much. (laughs) Many, many ideas. But all of this is coming from this, this utopian place, this utopian ideal, because we all have it inside of us. But the Torah is the, is the mechanism to, to realize it in the world. Now the Chazanish said the following thing, because there was a real exodus of great minds and big souls in the beginning of the 1900, from the yeshiva to the bund, which was the communist party. And you had people who were like observant Jews and were like, you know, they who had studied Torah, who were leaving it in order to become leaders in the growth of communism. is a very tragic era in Jewish history. And the Chazanish said, you know, you know how many tears their parents and their grandparents cried for their kids and their grandkids that they shouldn't go on that path? So he said, how could it be that those prayers weren't answered? Because you see, they, they, they really did go on that path. They really did go away. And yet you had these, like, this, this river of tears 
that were cried for these people. So what happened? Does that mean that the prayers weren't answered? So the Chazanish, one of the great Torah giants of the last you know, couple hundred years, said what happened was all of those prayers ascended to heaven. And God waited for the first generation that wasn't anti-Torah. The first generation that came that just didn't have a negative opinion about Torah, all of those prayers were waiting and they all came down on that generation. An amazing, an amazing insight into divine mechanics, if you will. How these things work. So when it comes to how confusing life is, one of the reasons is because sometimes an event is happening in the present which has been triggered by something from the past that we have no awareness of. Or it's for the future, and we're not aware of the fact that it's for the future. And so we live in this confusing state where it looks like there is no order when there really is a masterly order. There is a Seder. There is an order. And this is what Yaakov Avinu is saying back to Yosef. He's saying, no, I'm putting Ephraim first because the Aleph in the word Emet, which is the undercurrent of all of history, Emet, truth, which is implanted in the very beginning of creation, but in a mixed up form and is waiting for each one of us to reveal through our own lives because we're the tough, right? Like the Gemara says, the angel Gavriel puts the letter tough on all of our foreheads. We're the end. We're the tough. Yaakov Avinu is saying, no, first comes Ephraim, then comes Menashe, then comes all of us. And when all of those pieces are in place, that will be the finish. And it won't be openly apparent to the eye. Because to you, to you, Yosef, you see it as a further confusion. But Yaakov says, no, I'm not mixing it up. I'm putting it as it really is. Just because to your eye it doesn't look ordered, that doesn't mean it isn't ordered. And the prophet, the Navi, Malachi, says the following, Titan emes li Yaakov, Give truth to Yaakov. Yaakov's great mida, his great quality, is this quality of emet. Titan emet le Yaakov. He's the master of truth. But truth in its deepest sense, truth as it really manifests itself in this world, which is not always obvious to the eye. So now the question is the following. If the ball is in our court, then how do we do it? How, how do we do it? And so, to the extent that we can serve God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and to connect ourselves to really His mitzvot, this is, this is the ultimate recipe. This is the finishing of creation. But you know something? The way... Um, Reb Shlomo put it, a person can do everything right and do everything wrong. Meaning to say that everything has to be done with sweetness and everything has to be done with sensitivity. And, you know, one of the great ironies that you see, unfortunately, sometimes among religious people is they become so religious that they realize that they don't have to be nice anymore. <laughs> Somehow they've evolved <laughs> past the obligation of being nice. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which, of course, is a complete contradiction and makes no sense whatsoever. But it's possible to get lost and so immersed within the details that you forget that the essence is, is kindness to each other. And that everything has to be done within that context. And so with that in mind, I want to tell you this story. 
And um, maybe we'll finish with this. Uh, it sounds like a Reb Shlomo story. Um, it's, it's not, but uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. I saw it included in this book from Art Scroll. It's called A Letter for the Ages. It's um, a, uh, a, uh, an explanation, a commentary on a, on a letter that the, the, Ramban, the Ramban, Nachmanides, wrote to his son. And it's uh, advice for life. And actually, you know, just to underscore how important it is, the Ramban, you know, who's a contemporary of, 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 of Rashi and uh, a contemporary of the Rambam, you know, so he's really, you know, right there with, with all of the greats. The very, the very, very first thing that he says, and then I'll get to the story that I, that I wanted to tell you. Um, let's see if I can find it quickly is he, he instructs his son how important it is. He says, Heed, my son, the discipline of your father, and do not forsake the guidance of your mother. So he opens up with a quote from Proverbs, from Michelin. But here, now, the Ramban begins writing on his own. Mm-hmm. He says, Accustom yourself to speak gently to all people at all times. Can you imagine the Ramban is giving advice to his son. What's the very, 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 very first thing that he says? The very, 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 very first thing that he says. Accustom yourself to speak gently to all people at all times. This will protect you from anger, a most serious character flaw, which causes one to sin. So, anyway. So with that in mind, I want to tell you this story about, I think, extraordinary kindness... And um, and this is from uh, Rav Eliyahu Moshe Shiskal, who is Rav Moshe Feinstein's son-in-law. Okay, now there was a someone who is uh, mentally ill in his community, and this this uh, man um, imagined himself to be a a, a medical genius and a high-ranking military officer. Okay? A medical genius and a high-ranking military officer. And everyone called him the professor. Okay? But he was not... He, he, he didn't have it 100%, right? So, so he was over at Rav Shish, Shiskel's house, and he had a transistor radio. This is probably in the 60s or 50s, around then, probably... And he was playing it in, in the Rav's house at the top volume. And he was going from station to station. To station to station, top volume. And just marveling at how wonderful this was, right? <laughs> you can imagine, if you're in the home at the time, you're probably being driven crazy by this, right? Like top volume, station, 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 right? Like... So, so the Rav didn't want to, he saw how much the man was enjoying this. And he didn't want to insult him. He didn't want to hurt his feelings. So what's he going to do? So he goes up to him and he says, he says, he says, Professor, are these military secrets I hear? And the man says, yes. He says, this is a military radio and it carries military secrets. And the Rav says, but I'm not in the military. Should, is it proper for me to be hearing these secrets? And the man says, you're right. And he turns it off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. This is a true story. And what's fantastic to me about this story is the lengths that the Rav went to speak in a beautiful way and in a way that would honor and respect this person. I, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time that someone called him up in the middle of the night and said to him, a Mashiach, meaning the caller, told that to Rip Shlom. 
He said to him, I'm Mashiach. And Reb Shlomo said back to him, he says, listen, he says, I know you're Mashiach, and you know you're Mashiach, but the world isn't ready to hear it yet. So you have to just kind of, you just have to wait a little longer, you know? And the person was like, yeah, he agreed. He agreed. So, so, so God should bless us that we should understand that there's an order to this world and that we're the culmination of this order. Each one of us. And as the Rambam says, each person should go through life thinking that the scales of the world are exactly even and any action that I do can put, if it's positive, I can bring the entire world to the side of merit. And that there is an order. And that even if it's not openly identifiable, nonetheless, that order very much is there. And I just want to say something from that uh, I shared this story yesterday at the Happy Minion, and Ben Sion came up to me afterwards and added this one thing. He said, you know, he wanted to say something in defense of Yosef. Remember, Yosef is the one who's trying to rearrange the, the arms, right? Um, because he wants that, as I was suggesting, he wants that order to be openly revealed for all of us. So Ben Sion said something very beautiful. He said, you know something? Maybe Yosef really was agreeing with Yaakov, but he didn't want the children's feelings to get hurt. <laughs> Right, Just like Yaakov didn't tell them to move into different places, once the arms were placed in the opposite way, Yosef wanted him, even though he agreed with what Yaakov was doing, he wanted to put a level of protest to protect the honor of his sons. And so whether that was going on or not, it's worth mentioning. Right? It's worth mentioning for sure. Okay, so God should bless us to really, to put that finishing touch on all of creation. Soon, soon.